You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. James. That James, he's, he's always keeping us on top of things. So I was in Barnes & Noble's uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and there were books all over the place in print. And so for those of you who read all your stuff on devices, there are still printed books out there. And I came across a book that, uh, that kind of caught my eye. Let's get it on the screen here. It's uh, by Lawrence Krauss, The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far. And it captured my attention. It's a New York Times bestseller because people want to know why they're on the planet. We want to know why we're here, what we're supposed to do with our lives. And he gave it a shot. Uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, read the book. It's not my style. But uh, he's a physicist and a theoretician, and he took science as a way to kind of understand why we're here on the planet. I uh, am so grateful for our mission statement here at New Life. We're here to uh, make disciples who make disciples. At the core of life, this captures the, the meaning, the, the vision for what we're here for on the planet. We do what Jesus did, and we keep on doing it, and we multiply it and replicate it, and it, 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 it grips me at the core. But the problem, it's not always easy to understand this term disciple or discipleship, uh, uh, does that mean I have to be perfect? Well, and then if I have to be perfect, I'll just forget about it. And uh, does it mean uh, that uh, somehow I have to be a college-educated Bible student, something? It's somehow the word disciple can be kind of aloof. And we feel like we're not good enough or we'll never be good enough to be a disciple, let alone make disciples. And besides, didn't Jesus do that? How can I do that? And so there's this there's this tension, how do we do discipleship? And I want to attack that this morning. I want to uh, take the elevator down to the bottom floor. I, I want to make discipleship easy. Uh, and, and we're going to look at it. But first, I want to share a little bit of my own story uh, that, that reflects on this as God has worked in my life. In high school, I was ready for a business degree. And toward the end of high school, it just kind of all fell apart. I really didn't feel like I wanted to do business, though I, I, I feel like I probably could have done well. I was looking at uh, Colorado State University uh, in the midst of it. I really didn't have the money to pull all that off. I thought, well, maybe it's time to go into the military, pick up some uh, veterans benefits, and then maybe do my education later when I actually know what I want to do. So I enlisted in the Air Force during the Vietnam War. Uh, this was not good news for my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, both sides of the family, my parents, or anybody else. But it just seemed right to me. And uh, I'm not a fear guy. And so off I went into the Air Force. I already knew that God was real, but I didn't have any idea how to find Him, how to get to Him. After I ended up at uh, the Homestead Air Force Base in Miami, Florida, it's kind of south of Miami, pretty much gone now. One of the hurricanes took it out. Uh, but while I was there, I, 
I had brought a Bible. Uh, I think I had picked it up when I was in Mainline Denominational Church when I was a kid. And it was sort of a good luck charm, you know, sort of a rabbit's foot. just seemed right to have a Bible. And I did read it from time to time because I knew that God was out there. I just didn't know how to get to Him. A guy saw that Bible in my barracks room, and he struck up a conversation with me. His name was Harry, very friendly guy, but he immediately realized that I had a Bible and no clue what it was about or what life was about. It was very kind, and he introduced me to Bob. And Bob was very interested in me and in my journey, and he began to disciple me. He came to my room, my barracks room, pretty much every week. There was a set time, and I I was there, and he would come, and he would answer my questions, of which there were many, because I had no idea how one could uh, grasp authority of a book written so long ago, and which so many people said was filled with errors. So he had so many questions, but I, I started reading the Bible. I started dialoguing with him. He often asked me to come to a small group in one of the other barracks rooms there at the Air Force Base. I told him I would love to come. Of course, I would never go to a small group in somebody else's barracks room. That would be outrageous. I wouldn't want to hang out with a bunch of weird people who read the Bible, and, you know, it's just not going to happen. So he asked me many times, and I often told him, yes, I'll be there. And uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to tell him I'm never going to come. And he, he keeps coming. One night, he, one evening, he comes to my room, And he caught me at one of those deeply lonely times. There was so much loneliness. I I remember sometimes checking my mail uh, twice a day when it only came once. Just so lonely. But maybe a stray piece would have gotten lost and put in there. It's pretty sad to be that lonely. And my heart goes out to people who deal with loneliness. He came to my room just on his way to that group Bible study and caught me at one of those lonely moments and said, hey, would you like to come along? Two things. One, watch out for people when you're lonely. But second, (laughs) he came and got me. He came and got me. Because I never would have gone on my own. And so I said, sure, (laughs) because I'm a nice guy. And so I went over to the room where this Bible study was, and guys were hanging off the bunk beds and crammed in there, probably a dozen guys with, with room for three. And we were studying the Bible together, and I was perplexed because I didn't see anybody abnormal. They all seemed normal. And not only normal, one guy was a huge football player, and I thought, well, an athlete would never follow Jesus. They're too cool. And on it went. I was embraced by guys who were normal and who were following Jesus. Now, I didn't know much about Jesus, but I understood being cared about, and they cared about me. They asked me how I was doing, where I was from. They got to know me. Uh, When my motorcycle was down, they helped me repair it. Uh, (coughs) Motorcycle, how about that, huh? That's a secret. So, (laughs) took about a half a year, three months when Bob just come into my room, another three months in that group before I said yes to Jesus. But it was the group that pushed me over. 
when I saw others following Jesus and the difference it made in their lives, and then I began to see that the Bible works. It puts, the Bible puts the, the pieces of the puzzle of the universe together. And I began to understand author, the authority of the Bible, even though it was written long ago. I said yes to Jesus. And that was remarkable because I came in cold. I came in at level zero. In six months, I said yes to Jesus, and I was on my way. And I'm so thankful today for that small group. And though Bob is now in his 70s or something, I am still in touch with him, and I still honor him for discipling me and following me up and bringing me on into the kingdom. And I'm going to let him know about this uh, uh, online service this morning. About a year later, I kept on being with these guys and growing leaps and bounds and learning how to pray. About a year later, a guy comes to my room and he, he hit the wrong room. My roommates, my bunk, what do you call them? Dorm? No, barracks mate? I don't know. Anyway, the guy that was in there, his name was Stevenson and this guy was looking for Stevens. But he was in the wrong barracks, in the wrong room, with looking for a guy who's name was spelled completely different. He was in the wrong place. He was very friendly, and somehow he started talking to me about his small group. Like, what? It's like, now I look back and I think, did God send him or what? But at the time, it was, he just, we started talking, and he said, look, you need to come to our small group because we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, that's, that's cool. And Somehow, they got me into their small group. I got there. I don't remember just how, whether they came and got me or I found my way or whether loneliness took me there. You know how that is. But I found my way to the small group. And again, not only normals, but people who believed in the whole Bible, not just some of it. And I'm going, whoa, I I did not know that we could have all of the book of Acts. I did not know that we could have all of Corinthians. I did not know that we could have all of Ephesians. And I was interested. This small group began to nurture me in more of the the gospel. Um, not, Not just the thought part, but the action part. And about a half a year later, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in my spiritual language, I was so fired up, I felt like I could clear out a hospital. I just, I knew God was real. I knew Jesus was real. I was on. I want to say that it was the small group who lived their lives before me and who nurtured me along with care and answering questions and studying with me and helping me along and helping me fix my motorcycle again that kept me going. And when I, when I look back, it was a small group was absolutely critical. And all these years since, I've been in one small group after another, so many different small groups, and I identify my journey and where it, where it kicks up and maybe where it goes down a little bit and then kicks back up, and I note my involvement in small groups and how the small groups push me upward. And so when I talk to you this morning a little bit about discipleship and about how Jesus made disciples in small groups, this isn't some theory. This isn't some nice idea. It's not some program. It's not some cool new thing that the church rolled out. This is is what we do. It's at the core. 
We do small groups because Jesus did small groups because it works. Did I say that right? Yeah. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. And while you're turning there, I want to mention a core verse for making disciples who make disciples, and that's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And you know this passage so well where Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, ho, ho, I got it. I'm I'm thinking too much here. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're here on the planet to love God and love others, and that is expressed by making disciples who make disciples. And then in John 20, verse 21, Jesus says it in another way. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Bam! We no longer have any excuses We can't say, I'm not good enough, I'll never be perfect, I can't do this, I can't do that, I don't like people, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, we have no excuses. We have no excuses, because Jesus said, this is how you do life. You do what I did. You make disciples like I did. You care about people like I did. You pray for people like I did. You cast out demons and they go, like I did. And uh, don't try walking on water unless you've got some pretty good confidence, but you've got the idea. You've got the idea. We go. We go and make disciples. We do what Jesus did. It's at the core of life. So now we have a question. This word disciple, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a disciple? Because if we're going to talk in this church about making disciples who make disciples, we better have a clear thought of what that looks like. So I want to attack this with an acronym, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, disciple, and use eight different descriptive words to hone in on what a disciple looks like. And hey, I know some of you have already filled in the blanks in your message notes with some of the words for this. So we're going to see if we correlate here. Here we go. Letter D, a disciple is marked by daily. Daily, And this comes from Luke uh, chapter 23 where Jesus warns the disciples that he's going to be killed. And then he tells them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. There's at least a couple of things in that passage that are remarkable. One, a disciple surrenders. We no longer are in charge of our lives The Lord, the Lord God, is in charge of our lives. The King of the kingdom is in charge of our lives. Jesus is in charge of our lives. And we surrender to that Lordship. And when we do, we thrive. Life works. Everything, the way we were designed, all comes into sync. And and we say, yep, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is who I am. The second thing is where we get the letter D. This happens daily. Because if we try to do this once a week or once in a while or at Christmas and Easter or when we're down, you know one of the things I learned about seeking after God when you're down is if you haven't built a strong foundation for that ahead of time, you don't have much to work with. 
and you just stay there for quite a while. We, we build up before the storms hit, don't we? Does that make sense? Yeah. D for daily. The letter I for integrity. A disciple is marked by integrity. Integrity is where your, your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, your words all line up. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. And it's at the core of being able to trust. If you're, when you, as you train up your disciple, it all happens inside a relationship. And the first place, the beginning point in a relationship is trust. If there's no trust, then the relationship fails. Paul, uh, as an example, planted a church in Ephesus over there in what's today Turkey. And one of his challenges was to raise up leaders in this difficult church. Um, Paul had to leave his trusted, his most trusted guy behind in Ephesus to, to work with this church. And that, uh, that's where the letter of First and Second Timothy came from, so that Paul could bring uh, correction and help Timothy with raising up the leaders that needed to be raised up. And much of 1 Timothy is about leadership, 2 Timothy as well. And so he writes, for example, in chapter 3, starting in verse 2, now the church leader must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own family well, and so on. Integrity is at the heart of discipleship, how you do your life. See, I think a lot of times we focus on uh, uh, what we can do, our abilities, our talents, but Jesus calls us, Paul calls us here (coughs) to be sure that our lives are in sync. The letter S in discipleship, <coughs> excuse me, spirit-filled. A disciple is spirit-filled. And at the, at the heart of that is a spirituality that is a relationship with God. We get the first commandment here, um, Mark 12, 29 and 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's worship in being spirit-filled. And then the second aspect of being spirit-filled is yielding to the Holy Spirit. And so you'll see in your message notes something a little funny there. I have Mark, Matthew, excuse me, Mark 12, uh, 29 and 30, and then you'll see the whole book of Acts. I did that on purpose because part of it, I'm thrilled that we do get the whole book of Acts. That it's all our, all the book. Now, some of us don't want Ananias and Sapphira, and I understand that. But we got the whole book of Acts. And so when we talk about spirit-filled, we talk about seeing how we respond to the resurrection of Jesus by seeing how the disciples responded to the resurrection in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is ours. It's our guide. It's our map. It's our pathway. Uh, uh, and for example, Acts 4.31, uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
And, and so we're just on our way. And of course, tons of small groups. In fact, they didn't have any mega churches in the book of Acts, which is no problem with mega churches, but there is a big deal about small, about small groups because that's how it flourished. And, you know, they, they had thousands of people coming to Christ. It was the Holy Spirit. Yes, they were Spirit-filled, but there were tons of small groups to nurture as, as they went on. The, the letter C in disciple stands for compassion. A disciple is marked by compassion. A disciple is marked by love. The second commandment, uh, we, we love people. It's all part of a relationship. Jesus explained in John uh, thirteen thirty five that by this uh, will everyone know you're my disciples if you love one another. This sounds easy, like, okay, yeah, I got that. But in fact, we're actually not very good at it, are we? I was at Chad and Carrie Robison's wedding last night. It was magnificent. They're such wonderful people, part of our church. And I thought while uh, they were saying their vows, wouldn't it be sad if they got their vows right, but they didn't care about each other? Because you can have your doctrines right, but not have your love right. And we have to figure out how to have compassion with our doctrines as well as compassion uh, otherwise. We, 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 have, we have to care. And here's the marker for me. It's not that we have everything right, but that people feel loved. You might love people, but if they don't feel loved, you're not done yet. Is that right? Does that make sense? Now, there's some people who seem to disagree. For, for example, uh, this week, the Nashville Statement on Sexuality was released. And uh, there was a lot of stuff uh, on transgender and marriage and so on. And they did their, be- their best to be careful in their, uh, in their biblical study about sexuality and uh, a group of evangelicals in Nashville. But the backlash was enormous. Just because you have your statement right about marriage or sexuality doesn't necessarily communicate love to anybody. And so the, the, the tremendous hate that has come toward this statement is somewhat understandable. Wouldn't it have been better if we'd have done the Nashville recovery statement where we would help people who are hurting get healed? That, that I would like to read that statement. That I would feel loved. You would feel loved. Is that right? Yeah, just, a, okay. Yeah, no, we, we better move on before I get into trouble. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. Uh, the next letter in discipleship, in disciple, the letter I, for intercultural. There's something about every disciple that we need to be a, that we need to be a missionary. And here, here's the, the definition. We care about people who are different than us. We care about people who are different than us. And cultural differences, racial differences, what, what, whatever they might be. Matthew 28, uh, 19 Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethne, 
every ethnic group, every kind of person that there is, in every cultural grouping. We want to make disciples among every group that there is. And so we need to go, and we also need to realize that God has brought them to us here in the cities. And we, we, we want to express our love to people who are very different than us and be good with that. And that's a marker of discipleship. You know, Paul, uh, I'm free and belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, uh, Pharisees, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win, as, to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, the non-Pharisees or the non-Jews, the Gentiles, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. And then he summarizes, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might rescue or save some. This is what a disciple looks like. We don't ask people to speak our language. We don't ask people to like our music. We don't, like, we don't ask people to wear the kind of clothes we wear. We like them in their cultural grouping, the way they uh, sing, the way they dress, the way they think. We reach into their world. That's a mark of discipleship. And I learned all that in small groups as I saw people different than me come into the small group, and as small groups throughout the city are open doors into the community, we have people who are different than me. Some of you say, yeah, thank you. There's lots of people different than you, Dave. Yeah. So thank you. People are different, and they're coming on in, and I'm learning how to really love people who are not like me. The letter P, this might surprise you, but then after you think about it for a while, you realize it's at the core. The letter P is perseverance. Perseverance. I first learned this when I was planting a church in Southern California. It wasn't easy. And a mentor of mine, Ralph Moore, said uh, in a lecture, the most important quality of a church planter is relentless perseverance. I thought, man, you know, I thought it would have been strategy or character or spirituality. But here's the thing. There are people who are more intellectual than I am, who are more talented. Uh, For example, you don't want me on the worship team here on Sunday mornings. Trust me with this. You do not want to hear me sing. You, there are people who are more strategic than I am, but the church that I planted is still there in Southern California. It's now called Thrive, and they're, they're thriving, and I love it. And I only knew that I had to keep with it, even though things were tough. I mean, we had the police come, when the youth group, when whatever, whatever, all kinds of problems that any church has, but we kept at it. And sometimes we quit too soon, whether in our marriage, in our ministry, in the workplace, we haven't learned well to persevere in our culture because our culture teaches be comfortable. And if it doesn't get comfortable, then we think we should just move on. Or things should be easy, and if they're not easy, 
we should just move on. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And, and here's Paul in 2 Corinthians. Imprisoned, countless beatings. Five times he had the 39 lashes. Three times he's beaten with rod. One time he's stoned. Three times he's shipwrecked. And then one time he's a night and a day adrift at sea. Can I just say, I don't do overnight hanging on a log. Is that in the ocean, in the Mediterranean? Yeah, no, so even my perseverance, yeah, no, 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 thank you. Sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold. Uh, We make disciples who can persevere because the cause is worth it. The letter L This one's an easy one. I bet some of you chose this somewhere, is learning, a learner. One of the marks of a disciple is a learner. And you might say to to yourself, Dave, isn't everybody a learner? Don't we all want to learn? And the answer is it's not. You can't assume that some people are learners. I was a uh, uh, professor at a college for 14 years. They were amazing, wonderful people, but I have to admit there were some students who didn't feel like there was really anything more that was necessary to learn. They had it figured out, and they go through the classes to get the grade so they can get the girlfriend or the boyfriend or whatever it is that they're really after because they, I saw that they really weren't hungry to learn. So I don't assume that somebody is a learner. I don't assume that somebody's still hungry to know more about what God is really like. I don't assume that. And many people are stuck where they are, and there are reasons for that, and I have compassion. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We want to be careful to be learners. When we're in a small group, by the way, you see people further along on the journey, and then you some peop- see some people who are not as far on the journey. And you begin to realize, I want to go further. I want more. I want, I want to give more. I want to care better. And you, f- you see that that happens because you continue to be a learner, what we call a lifelong learner. Then letter E uh, is maybe the toughest one but it's, it's, we can't leave it out, is being an example. Discipleship, disciples are marked by being an example. Uh, just, you'd be surprised how many passages in the New Testament call us to be examples. Just one of them, uh, Paul writing to Timothy there in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 4.12, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And this is the way to make disciples. We, we have to be an example. And people follow our example. I learned that Jesus is real and that he loved me by being with people who were examples of an understanding that Jesus loved them and that that love was to be given away. So how do we do this? How do we make disciples? Uh, what, what, what do we do next? Well, Jesus made disciples in a small group. And what we've come to see is that that's how we do it as well.
We make disciples in a small group. At our church, we have four categories. We call it a uh, small group, a class, a serving opportunity, or a recovery. And so whatever it is, we're looking for the next place on our journey where we can grow uh, and, and that almost always is in some sort of small group or class. Now, we uh, have a, we've given you a, a, a little uh, brochure called Next. We've uh, realized that in discipleship, you're never done. There's always a next step, a next chapter, a next place, a next turn on your journey. And so we're going, we're, we're going to try to help more and more in the future people to discern the next step that God has for them. We aren't a church that is dictatorial and somehow so organized that we say you have to start here, then go here, then you have to do this, then you have to do this. Because people are at different places on their journey. For some people, they need to start right away with Financial Peace University because their finances are a mess and it's clouding everything else. And so for that person, Financial Peace is the next step. But for some people, uh, uh, their marriage. And so we've got a, a marriage group you and you'll find out about that this morning. And so this little pamphlet is available for you to know about some of the next steps that are available in, in various groups. What's the next thing that I, need, that I can do? And you'll see it all laid out, groups, classes, uh, recovery, um, uh, serving opportunities in the very back. Uh, this, is, this is a great tool, but not just for you. It's as you disciple others. These pamphlets will always be available. They'll always be at the information table and scattered around, and there'll be a way for you to help people take their next step. Uh, another thing that we're doing with this as we have... We have an expo this weekend and next weekend and during the taco feed this coming Wednesday night. Now, an expo is simply small group leaders, class uh, teachers, instructors, um, serving opportunity people uh, who who know what's going on, and uh, uh, recovery at tables here in the lobby and in the patio that are available to talk to you about next steps that might be right for you or to help you to get into another next step that fits. And, and all, all that's available this morning. And, by the way, refreshments in the patio. And so you, you make your way through the lobby to the patio or patio to the lobby. Check out some of the things that are available to you. And, and hey, check out the refreshments. So that was a cool idea, by the way. So refreshments, and maybe you're saying to yourself, I have no idea where to start. I'm new at this. I've never been in a group. I'm actually afraid to be in a group. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know if they're going to ask me to pray. I don't know if they're going to ask me to read. I don't want to do any of those things, but, but I do want to grow. Well, Rooted is there for the people uh, who want a first step that is safe, fun, and did I say safe, and did I say fun? So there it is. That it's, it's just a, a starting point. It's not that it's better, but it's a starting point. It's kind of like the one door that you go through first, and it opens the way to the many other doors of all kinds of ministry and serving opportunities and all kinds of things in our church. And so if you're not sure where to go, start with Rooted. Uh, and 
Let's see, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, refreshments in the patio. so much more to say, but uh, we'll have to commit ourselves to say, okay, God, what do you have next for me? I'm in. Would you stand with me, please? Lord God, we just thank you for uh, a church that has change for good and not just change for change's sake or change because of some manipulative uh, strategy or something. But we're a growing church and a growing people, and we want to grow more. We want to love you more, and we want to make disciples who make disciples. Show us the way, God. Thank you for being the initiator, helping us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.